G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. Well, you might be familiar with Australia's nickname, the Lucky Country. Sometimes we use it as a term of endearment when we're talking about Australia's natural resources or our fabulous weather compared to some places around the world or our history. Well, a new book is inspired by the iconic book called The Lucky Country by Donald Horn that was published back in 1964. But there is a lament that the lucky country has now been transformed into the unlucky country. And according to the authors of a new book by that title, there has been a spectacular transformation in a relatively short period of time where the values of Australia's liberal tradition have been eroded, neglected and even despised by the ruling elites and largely condoned by an apathetic Aussie populace. Well, our special guest this hour is Augusto Zimmerman, Professor of Law and Head of Law at Sheridan Institute of Higher Education in Perth. His co-author isn't able to be with us today, but it's Gabriel Mowens, AM, Emeritus Professor of Law at the University of Queensland in Brisbane. Their new book is called The Unlucky Country. Uh, Dr. Augusto Zimmerman, a special welcome along to 2020. Thanks, Neil. It's a pleasure to talk with you again. Augusto, let's start perhaps talking about Donald Horn, who wrote The Lucky Country, and uh, the way that The Lucky Country has been adopted by Aussies to say, uh, isn't it fabulous, we live in the lucky country, but he never intended it to actually say that. What are your reflections on what he might have intended when he originally wrote that book? Well, look, uh, the book is about uh, uh, we being very lucky to survive uh, some of the politicians that we had in the past, but now it's being possible. And uh, the quality of the political class has deteriorated over the time. <clears throat> and we are facing some very terrible challenges that he uh, was predicting uh, to potentially uh, occur in the future. And in this sense, of course, the book has uh, a prophetic tone. But um, I think we should have, uh, in many ways, ceased to be so lucky. And that's why the book is about uh, our unluckiness at the moment. So Donald Horn did not have a good impression of the way Australia was being led. And when he used that term, the lucky country, he was not using that as the term of endearment that has been adopted. In fact, I found a quote from him saying, I have had to sit through the most appalling rubbish as successive generations misapplied this phrase. So uh, lamented that somehow or other the lucky country was uh, was picked up as being something just, a, you know, as, a, as we say, a term of endearment, but something that sort of says we are, a, a, you know, a great people because we're lucky. And, and that, sort of, that sort of must have been a, a very difficult thing for him to deal with because he was making a very significant reflection on Australian society, certainly 
in the 1960s. Yes, that's true. And uh, as you know, the last 40 years, I would say, uh, have proven him to be right in some points when he used to uh, criticize the um, uh, behavior of the ruling elites. Uh, this behavior has uh, been uh, quite remarkable over these years, as I have mentioned, especially during the COVID uh, pandemic and other um, uh, areas that uh, have been uh, under attack in Australia, including our Christian heritage. So uh, the point is that uh, we have inherited some very important uh, things that have protected us uh, uh, so far. But unfortunately, because of the undermining of our, our Christian heritage and the undermining of history in Australia, uh, the Brit British aspects of our constitution, uh, including the idea of checks and balances and the rule of law, uh, they have been undermined. But of course, not only here, undermined in England as well, because I have explained that uh, this is not a phenomenon that is occurring only in Australia. So this is a could extend to other parts of the world as well. The world is in big trouble at the moment. The world is in big trouble. And as we get a focus on Australia, that's going to be our main area of responsibility. So, so when Donald Horne wrote his book, uh, it was contextualised to the 1960s. And, uh, and so his statement, The Lucky Country, is an indictment of 1960s Australia. As you reflect on what he might have been writing about in the 1960s and developments over the last almost 60 years, um, thoughts here on, on, on what's happened and what's transpired in Australia? Well, look, uh, the book uh, has uh, so many chapters and it is, uh, what, uh, almost 400 pages. So there's lots to say about what's going on over here. But uh, I can see, I can read some of the chapters, uh, not the, the chapters, the title of the chapters, so you, your listeners can have an idea. Uh, the attack on free speech is a major problem in Australia. The COVID tyranny, uh, the secularization of Australia, the climate change religion, which is a death cult, as we try to explain in the book, a country divided by race and ethnicity, historical revisionism, the rise of the welfare state with its unintended consequence, creating a sort of um, slave-like population that uh, expects everything to come from government, the walking of Australia's corporations, the walking of the political class and the judiciary, and of course we are both constitutional law professors, we know what you're talking about when it comes to very controversial decisions of the High Court, the denial of biological reality, the demise of Australia's education system, universities and academic freedom, which is a very op the op very opposite of what it, uh, the title says, we do not have academic freedom anymore, in, at least it's not uh, fully uh, endorsed by the universities, the destruction of our economy and so forth. You know, we had so much to say about what's going on. And of course, in the end of this whole ordeal, having to explain why we are going so bad, we try to strike a positive message to uh, explain what we can do to reverse the process, what we can do to be a, a so-called lucky country again, a blessed country again, under God and his law. 
So the reflection on Donald Horn, and as you go through some of those chapter headings, the things that you've been able to address, you want to raise readers' awareness of the values of our Australian liberal tradition that have been neglected. Now, uh, there's two things. Uh, The elites who are governing us, leading us, and there's the people who put them in power, and perhaps there's uh, neglect in there as well. So there's there's two speeds here, isn't there? There's uh, the the elites, and then there's the people. That's us who put them into power. That's challenging. Exactly, and of course, uh, we try to explain the book uh, the um, demise of Christianity in Australia, because uh, the, the um, uh, last census, uh, it seems that the uh, religious group that is uh, uh, growing remarkably in numbers is actually the atheistic camp. And, um, and of course, that uh, if a society has lost, lost its uh, faith in God, um, it's no wonder that they have replaced this faith uh, and put their uh, commitment to something else, another entity. And in this case, uh, we can clearly see that um, there are some people around uh, worship government and expect government to be government to be the sa- their savior and the solution for all problems. And of course, the uh, parasitic or ruling classes in Australia have taken advantage of this fact. Uh, of creating or, 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 or stimulating fear in the population so that they would become a more comply, compliant population, a more, a more submissive population, and even uh, take some uh, of the measures that uh, were uh, promoted as the solution for the problems that they have created uh, faithfully and obediently. So... Um, this uh, is a consequence of our undermining of Christian foundations in this nation. Let's not let go of uh, this terminology, the lucky country, for a moment, um, because as Donald Horn was describing our luckiness, and I know that uh, Christians will need to interpret that too, because uh, oftentimes we talk about blessing, not luck. Uh, and I know that uh, there might be some who are thinking, uh, why are they using that terminology? It's because we're talking about literature here and things that have shaped our nation. So so when we talk about what has made us lucky in that sense, Australia's natural resources, our wonderful weather, our history... Uh, our dependence on the British system and our distance from problems everywhere else in the world. People have thought because of those virtues that we are lucky to have those. But you're saying, you and Gabriel Mowens are saying this is quickly evaporating. Any luck can't be relied on for the future. So if we're talking about the past and the future, how do you reflect on those things? Well, look, um, I uh, have written a PhD thesis on the rule of law and elements for its realization. So in the book, uh, Gabriel and I explained that to have a, a decent constitutional framework, institutional framework, doesn't mean that we are going to achieve the things that we expect, unless there is a proper culture involved, a proper culture of legality, of respect to individual rights and freedoms. 
and the commitment to uh, properly enforce the rules that will uh, lead to this protection. But um, our constitutional framework offers some problems that used to be corrected by means of this culture that I referred to as a culture of legality and the commitment to classical liberal values that are derived from Christianity. But if we cease to have these things because our culture has changed, then uh, the implementation or realization of the rule of law and of good elements of our constitution will be impossible to be uh, implemented, to be to be uh, uh, working properly. So the point is that our culture has changed, people have changed, they have become more dependent on, 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 on government as their salvation, they are practicing idolatry of government at the moment, and this is going to inevitably lead to disastrous consequences, as we uh, explain uh, in the chapters of this book. Well, what an interesting terminology you use there, and perhaps wise for us to just pause and reflect for a moment, because idolatry of government, and as you mentioned a little earlier, if you're not uh, going to be worshipping God, it's like you're worshipping the government, because the government has to step in and play a role there and take a place um, and uh, there might be some who are thinking our governments are absolutely trustworthy and won't they treat us well and uh, won't we be uh, you know, blessed to have a great government? But I know that's not your view. Uh, making government an idol, uh, this would be one of the big challenges we all need to think uh, through pretty carefully, don't we? Absolutely, because idols, they always disappoint us, you know. Uh, every time we place our confidence, your faith, in anything apart from God, uh, we never believe we will be uh, destroyed, disappointed, and uh, and uh, realize that this was indeed a bad choice. And the point is that uh, the welfare state has created um, a culture of dependency, dependency on government for even survival. We now have generations of people who depend on the welfare. And what the governments are basically doing is taking advantage of the situation, the ruling classes, to um, control every single aspect of our society. And it's quite uh, uncomfortable to live in a country where even we feel afraid of expressing our words because now uh, they are even contemplating the passing of legislation that you undermine, ultimately you undermine democracy because... Uh, uh, free speech is a, a primary element uh, for a, a healthy and functional, free and prosperous society. And this uh, element, that's free speech, containing our constitution, is under a massive attack at the moment because they want to impose their worldview on us and impose their authoritarian agenda upon us. Free speech going hand in hand with democracy. Um, democracy doesn't work without free speech. And you and I have had these sorts of conversations now over the years of how free speech is being taken away uh, by things like cancel culture and whether that's actually a legislation or whether it's just a movement of people and ideas, uh, that's a challenging thing. But let me ask you, taking this back to the lucky country, uh, one of the things that we're considered lucky in is that we actually have 
a constitutional monarchy that we inherited from the British. And I know one of the things that you like to talk about is the fact that we've never had to fight for our uh, democracy in the way that other nations have had to fight. <coughs> what are your reflections here about Australia and our unlucky country if we're not valuing the democracy that we have? Well, look, uh, this will uh, be a, a disastrous thing, and it's already uh, uh, happening. This tragedy is already uh, in place. Uh, we have to bear in mind that uh, a constitution such as ours requires a population that is watchful because we have something called representative democracy. And our politicians, they behave more like the masters over a, a slave-like people. And this is never going to work because uh, uh, the system of checks and balances is faulty at the moment. We even have in Western Australia as the governor of Australia, former police commissioner, who was actually the vaccine commander as well. Uh, and in other parts of Australia, chief health officers have been appointed governors. And, and that's a very bad sign. Um, the governor should be neutral and should not be politically appointed. So this is an element of the constitutional framework that must be fixed, the way that we appoint the governors and, and uh, governor generals. And there is very little separation of powers because the executive and the legislative branches are too combined at the moment. I would rather have the model where to be a member of parliament excludes you, excludes you from being a minister. And you can be as a minister, therefore, more properly controlled by parliament and potentially impeached. Another thing that I find it problematic is the fact that judges are appointed by politicians. I think we should have a method of judicial appointment that precludes the government of the day uh, from appointing members of the judicial elite. So we can fix things. The model worked because people were nice and had their, they, they upheld classical liberal values. But once this is to be the case, then uh, we are going to see the lack of accountability, the lack of checks and balances and proper separation of powers as a result. Okay, uh, there's some uh, proposed solutions in there too and it uh, calls for an adjustment of the way we think about a separation of powers, uh, adjustment the way we think of how our democracy functions. But are our political leaders, are those candidates who are seeking election, are they uh, aware of these things? Perhaps there's going to be something that listeners might like to contribute along the way. Uh, what do you think of when you think of the lucky country? What do you think of the controversial things we're talking about where our guest is saying Australia is now the unlucky country? What are your thoughts about what's happened in the past, what might be coming for the future? Before we get into some more detail of the things you've been writing about, Augusto, let me just uh, bring a bit of a reflection because uh, Donald Horne, who was writing this almost 60 years ago... He was a, uh, described as, uh, reportedly, a strident anti-communist, considered a self-styled radical conservative. Ben Chifley's government at the time was being denounced as totalitarian in its post-war planning and mild socialism. Uh, but Horn was also, and this is an interesting uh, mix of his 
ideas. Uh, he was also a pro-Republican. He actually liked Gough Whitlam, uh, who he saw as a political visionary and sort of, you know, thought he was like, you know, ought to be the king sort of thing. Uh, your thoughts here on uh, the, the context again, back to the 1960s, and uh, some are saying, and there's other reported and books written saying, think not much has changed. So, uh, so the unlucky country is something of, uh, you know, of a very good description of where things are at. But your thoughts on Donald Horn here for a few moments? Quite some well, contrast. You, you see that he was a colourful character. Um, we. Um, uh, read the book, but what really uh, was important for us is that statement uh, regarding uh, the uh, apathetic behavior sometimes of the, of the masses and, uh, and the fact that the politicians in Australia, they tend to be not, uh, intellectually speaking, not very impressive. But, uh, of course, we had the period of Menzies where the country was... Uh, um, governed in a proper manner because Menzies was uh, committed, uh, not only a committed Christian, but he was a true classical liberal who would uh, probably have resigned from the Liberal Party in disgust if he knew uh, how the Liberal Party is being now uh, conducting its businesses. And uh, the book has a whole chapter about the, uh, what would I say, the behavior and, uh, and the doings of the Liberal parties uh, in these uh, different states, including Victoria, where they are the, making the opposition, apparently so, to probably one of the worst uh, Labour governments in the nation. And uh, rather than upholding a classical Liberal approach uh, so as to protect uh, the rights, individual rights and freedoms of the Victorian people, uh, they have been pretty much, especially the leader of the party, in the, in the business of persecuting those who uphold conservative Christian uh, positions and, and biblical worldview. So um, uh, that's uh, basically uh, uh, the main state of the nation at the moment, and I think that ever since... Uh, he wrote the book, things that have not necessarily improved at all. Not improved at all. And uh, in fact, uh, in 2016, Ian Lowe wrote a book called The Unlucky Country, Reinventing Australia. And Lowe's book addresses Horn's stance and states that due to poor leadership, little has changed since the lucky country. So a takeaway for listeners today, and you might have your own insight, you might have your own comment to make, our politicians are unimpressive. Now, that's a nice way of saying perhaps they're uh, underqualified, um, that they don't have a, a global experience, they don't have an understanding of... Uh, philosophy and theology, which are so necessary here. And before we take any calls, and our talkback lines open one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let me come back to you on this, uh, Augusto, because listeners can hear you've got an accent, a Brazilian accent, and here you are in Australia as a migrant. Um, the unimpressiveness of politicians. How seriously ought we be taking this when it comes to elections? Well, we have to be taking this very seriously, and there are many migrants, and Professor Gabriel Moyes is one of those. Uh, we both came from 
uh, other parts of the world to uh, embrace the good uh, aspects of our culture. And when you arrived here, you realized that, uh, first of all, things were much better in those days than they are now. I have, uh, even though I have uh, kept my accent, I have been living in Australia for 20, 23 years now. Uh, there was some aspects of the culture. I, I landed in Victoria, in Melbourne, that I knew that uh, would potentially cause the problems that we are now uh, in, uh, facing. Uh, one was the fact that uh, every time I discussed things with my mates, uh, colleagues uh, in the university, they always appealed to government as the last resource. And there was this um, uh, uh, assumption that the government is a benevolent entity that is somehow going to uh, fix everything and solve all our problems. Uh, that is a, a recipe for disaster because, um, you know, uh, human beings are fallible. Uh, they are, they are uh, just human beings. They are not gods. And if you trust too much in government, uh, I guess that uh, we will be disappointed as we were over the last uh, uh, few years. I ag agree in a certain aspect uh, with Horne, with his analysis uh, uh, the, that uh, we were a lucky country, but that was not the proper term. I think the proper term is to be blessed. We were really blessed because we have inherited the good aspects of that uh, British uh, constitutional framework and values that were very important for our society. These values are being lost and the kids don't even know, not only don't, don't know about history, they don't even know their gender anymore, and they don't know anything. So there is a state of utter confusion, and that's why we have such a high suicide rate even in this nation, one of the highest in the world. That means that, that the society is sick, and people are depressed, and they need assistance, they need help. And with God, this is possible, but... Christian heritage. There are a lot of ramifications from, first of all, the unimpressive politicians and uh, the non-contextualising of where politicians sit. And as Christians, we appreciate this under God and uh, all of those issues around the rule of law that uh, come from God himself uh, outside of our sphere because he is the transcendent God. I mean, those things are important and they are important for a harmonious and, uh, and, and prosperous future. Hey, we're taking calls. 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Alex in Melbourne. Hey, Alex, welcome along. Yes, thank you, uh, Neil and, and Augustine. Um, yes, uh, the law, as I, as I can I remember and, and know, it's, it's been based on the Bible here. And and so, but, of course, it's been eroded um, through government. And, and I can remember uh, about 1990 in, in Victoria, I was very upset about this, that uh, they, they allowed the police force to pick to become a union and I thought to myself well that's serving two masters there and then uh, and then there's also the opportunity to hand handball to each other and get out of a, a situation and it's just eroding everything and I don't know and, and even the journalists seem to be uh, united in a certain way as well so you know these things they the media well 
that's where you hear all this. So, uh, and we get indoctrinated that way. Yeah, it's, it's awful. God help. Alex, good thoughts in there. Augusto, what stands out uh, in Alex's comment that you'd like to respond to? Well, look, the, the, the police, it's, uh, he mentioned the police, and it's a quite uh, a strange thing to uh, say that uh, when I see the police on the streets, I do not necessarily feel protected at all, perhaps because of my trauma uh, during those terrible moments of uh, oppression and tyranny, especially uh, the listener coming from Victoria. He knows what I'm talking about, where the police was used as an instrument of oppression and not serving the community. So, I mean, what uh, I have noticed over the years is that the police has ceased to be serving us and they are serving government, regardless of whether or not the government uh, upholds the rule of law and respects our constitution. Quite the contrary, I must say, because uh, uh, we have seen the very opposite to take place uh, in more recent times, where the police was used in a Gestapo-like approach to impose mandates that were utterly unconstitutional with, I must say, the complacency and even the support of the then Prime Minister Scott Morrison in those days. Alex, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open 1-800-316-316. We might even be asking, before we take another call, um, you know, when we talk about police unions, uh, let's just embrace all trade unions here, uh, that when there are government decisions, uh, elite decisions that put people under the sorts of pressure that we saw during COVID, that the unions were not speaking out against what is we can class as tyranny, whereas we might uh, might actually see trade unions as uh, sort of almost enforcing that. And, and thoughts from you on, on, on trade unions and, and the fact that, you know, they're uh, you know, typically left-leaning, uh, not always, but typically left-leaning and uh, perhaps part of the problem. Yes, uh, so they cease to be really uh, protecting their members, but uh, rather being used uh, as a tool of the oppressive elite. So uh, we happened uh, to see in Western Australia uh, my friend Ben Falconer, the, the police commissioner, who resists to be uh, inoculated. And uh, he lost his job and had to fight for uh, uh, his return to the, to the profession. And he got no support from the police union at all. When the police union actually was being used in a certain sense to do the very opposite of what it should be doing, which is, the, as I mentioned, the protection of its members. So uh, the, the role of the union has been distorted to the point of uh, now being a servant of the, um, uh, how can I say, local oligarchy here. So Ben Falconer was bold and courageous enough together with his uh, colleagues, some of his colleagues, to fight against uh, uh, a measure 
that was used unconstitutionally to force people into a medical or pharmaceutical treatment for the purposes of uh, uh, keeping these good police officers who serve the community in their uh, job. And uh, what they really wanted in the end of the day is to replace these good people with those who will be educated and indoctrinated to rather serve government and not the community. Let's take another call. Gail is in Brisbane, Queensland. Hey, Gail, welcome along. Hi. What nice to be here. My thoughts is I just want to share something that I have lived through and when this item come up, I had to call. I am a Russian born in China. Now, my um, grandfather... Bit nervous here. My grandfather sat in jail in China for eight years. Now he came from Russia. My mum and dad were only babies when they fled to China because of the revolution in Russia. And we grew up in China. Now I, we came out in 1965. I was only four years old. Now granddad became a Christian in Russia through an evangelist. And then when the revolution started, they fled to uh, China. And then um, dad, granddad promised that he will worship God if he and keep his, um, uh, be a pastor and all that until he, if God can protect them as they flee. When they got to China, he then started a, a church. Communism started and then, of course, granddad was put in jail for eight years for worshipping and preaching love and forgiveness. But he said... Um, that God gave him a vision and uh, a dream that God's going to lead us out to a land of milk and honey. Now, he sat there for a long time until one day people were able to go and put their name down and go and get out of China. And we went through, uh, they said, go to this village, put your name down. And it was through Council of Churches that sponsored a lot of people. Now, we never heard, Granddad said he never heard of Australia, he never seen it, they've never taught it in, in uh, schools. So when he, um, we came out here, and it was definitely 1965, it definitely is a land of milk and honey. And then my dad, of course, we, mum and dad, well, we had 10 kids, five were born in China, five were born in Australia. And from what we've gone through, what Dad had got a job straight away with GMH and the abundance and the help that the country gave us. But unfortunately, as I grew up, uh, there's so many changes as soon as they've started taking away God. And this is a land of milk and honey. And the blessings we got from it is just abundant. Gail, what a wonderful insight, and uh, it's a demonstration of the sorts of things we are talking about. Your thoughts here for Gail, Augusto? Uh, Look, beautiful comments, and uh, I uh, was told, as soon as I arrived, about uh, uh, James Cook landing in Rio de Janeiro before he uh, uh, discovered our continent. And, um, and that he took a seed uh, and planted this seed in Australia's, Australia's soil. I was born in Rio, 
And I thought that was a quite uh, symbolic thing to, that uh, he did such a thing. And then I end up discovering my new country, my new place, my new home. And I love this country with all my heart, mind, and soul. I feel that this is going to be uh, the great soft land of the Holy Spirit. And it will one day uh, that prophecy be fulfilled. The prophecy of the Portuguese navigator, uh, Fernando de Quiroz, uh, that uh, we will be a great south land of the Holy Spirit and the, and the land of the, of the, of the last revival uh, before uh, the coming, the second coming of our Lord and Savior. So what I must say to you, just to, to make this point very clear, is that the, the book uh, uh, has a message of hope uh, in the last chapter. And that is about uh, what we can do to turn this country, not into a lucky country, again, but into a blessed country again, where our rights and freedoms are protected and people acknowledge these blessings uh, as being given and bestowed on us by God Almighty. We can win and we will, we will win because with God, all these things are possible. Gail in Brisbane, thank you so much for just an outstanding story for your contribution to our conversation today. I do have to put a line under any other calls. My apologies to those who are waiting because I want to ask an important question here. And uh, you no doubt address this in your new book, Augusto. But uh, there are those who put their hopes in the political class. Uh, we heard from one listener who was reflecting on uh, the failure of the trade unions, uh, in the police union in particular, uh, in one context there. But what about the church? Because if the church is not in some ways separated from, you know, the separation of church and state, separated from and able to speak freely uh, we're in trouble, aren't we? How does the church fit into uh, the unlucky country here in the way that you've written? Well, look, it's, uh, it's, it has ceased to be uh, salt and light. And when uh, uh, we cease to be salt and light, uh, the, the society will rotten, rotten to the core. And uh, we need to be more bold and courageous. We need to... Uh, make sure that uh, we interpret the scripture properly. So what I saw, what I have seen over the years, is that we have been corrupted by by welfare, certainly, but also by government funding. And some of these churches, they uh, receive money from government, and they uh, are silenced in the process, including schools, uh, Christian schools, that uh, some of them teach in the work agenda. So um, it's very important to uh, make sure that we do not serve two masters because that is uh, the thing that uh, God abhors the most, one of the most that he abhors. So we need to make sure that we honor God and that we put his uh, uh, law above the law of the state, not that the state uh, should not be with its laws uh, respected, and, and we should not be good citizens. But certainly when it comes to protecting uh, fundamental rights and freedoms, including the right to bodily autonomy, by the way, 
uh, the church had the moral duty to speak out. And what I see of some church leaders is that not only they um, uh, caved in, but they were actually misleading the flock by misinterpreting chapter 13 of the of the letter of Romans uh, of Paul to the Romans, uh, saying that we should uh, obey go government regardless of consequence and regardless as to whether or not uh, this goes in total violation of God and uh, His natural law. Well, time has run out, Augusto Zimmerman. Always a pleasure getting your insights into what are quite deep issues. And for listeners who want to take this a little further, you might want to do your own research. You might even want to get a hold of uh, Donald Horns, a lucky country. And you might then want to follow that up with a read of this new book called The Unlucky Country. It's written by Augusta Zimmerman, who's been our guest this past hour, and also his co-author, who isn't able to be with us today, Gabriel Moens AM, Emeritus Professor of Law at the University of Queensland in Brisbane. Uh, it'll be a read that you will not regret. And how do you get a hold of it? Uh, well, you'll be able to find it online, but you could go to lockpress.com, L-O-C-K-E press.com, uh, that's the publisher of this book called The Unlucky Country. I might also mention that uh, there's another book that I might have to set a date for another day to have a talk to you and your co-author on it, Augusto, uh, Merchants of Death, Global Oligarchs and Their War on Humanity, and your co-author there, Professor John G. Hartnett. Uh, so uh, we'll make a date for another day to talk about that one. For, for listeners, there's a number of books uh, Augusto is proving to be a prolific author and uh, always great insights when we get to talk. Augusto, thank you so much for joining us today on 2020. Thanks, Neil, and God bless you. Keep up the good work. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.